Hello and welcome, my name is Cornelius McGrath and this is The Junto, a space where game changers from all over the globe gather to have the conversations that truly matter. Today I'm back in South Bend, Indiana to speak to Scott Ford. Scott is one of the most well-read people I've ever met. As a domer, architect and graduate of Cambridge University, there aren't many cities in the world that Scott hasn't called home. At his core, Scott is a placemaker, fascinated by design, culture, and the unique identity communities can take on. His ability to look at subjects, cities, movements, and communities through multiple layers and perspectives is absolutely unparalleled. And I always leave our conversations with a reading list longer than my arm. We spent some time at Lang Lab talking over a couple of coffees about Scott's journey to South Bend how he thinks you build thriving ecosystems from scratch, the importance of community, identity, design, and last but not least, what it's like to jump out of a helicopter in a tweed suit. Our conversation might just be the best yet that we've had on the show. Without further ado, let's get rolling. Scott Ford, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be with you. Um, awesome to see you. Beautiful setting today. Um, a little bit different to my last episode. Um, really, really excited to talk to you. Um, I'm very thankful a good friend, uh, you know, and former colleague, Jared Mazinski, connected us. Um, it's been quite an electric six months, I feel like, since we were first introduced. And it's been really exciting to see your vision uh, for the region and the vision of so many others kind of come to life. So um, today, I think we're going to cover a lot. Um, your time in Detroit, your time as an architect, your time now as Notre Dame. But I, I think as you so beautifully put in your email, um, you're a guy who just loves placemaking um, and, and a guy who loves thinking about community and, and cities and ecosystems. And um, I think that's a really important topic. So just wanted to say, number one, thank you. Um, and I guess let's start with this question. Um, for those who don't know, who is Scott Ford? Well, first of all, thank you for your, uh, um, your interest in the region and the story. You've really surfaced a story or a narrative that in many ways has been, um, it is starting to formulate, but is one that's been elusive. So I really appreciate your perspective on um, all those in the region that are, you know, in their efforts collectively to, to help improve the community. Um, who is Scott Ford? Well, um, I'm not a noun. I've always sort of had a challenge with, uh, you know, a label, um, you know, I've envied those who had that sort of clarity of being an accountant or an attorney or a physician. Um, so it, uh, uh, it's not to say that anyone is just one of those things, but I've, uh, that's always been an elusive thing, uh, for me, um, an urbanist, uh, a humanist, um, uh, 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 certainly a, a father and a husband, uh, um, uh, I've recently been sort of drawn to, some elements in stoicism and in other things, but also Christian. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess I'm, um, from the Midwest, somebody who's sympathetic to, uh, the, the situation within the Rust Belt, uh, and, um, sort of enjoyed those, those Chrysler commercials that came out in 2011 of, uh, imported from Detroit, right. Sort of identified with that. Um, but uh, yeah, you mentioned placemaking. So I've always been interested there at the intersection of of a design policy and, and uh, civic life. So yeah. And where did that interest come from? Um, you know, in your notes, it was just awesome to kind of hear about, you know, the role that your father played and, you know, Detroit played in your, in your upbringing. 
but kind of talk to me like where did your family begin and, and where did this kind of passion for placemaking come from mm-hmm. uh well it um in many ways it's maybe counterintuitive I had a suburban ex- you know existence uh um you know in a cul-de-sac neighborhood <clears throat> but uh we lived for a while in a small town indiana actually before we uh started michigan lived in a small town indiana and then moved back to michigan um one i do think that awareness of the small town where you literally could ride a bike to the pharmacy you had a you had running credit on just uh on a pencil and paper this kind of thing um did at a really early stage when i was you know six seven eight um appreciate what was not there when i was at the end of a cul-de-sac a few years later right where you had a lot of liberty as a kid with a bike um, you could you could do a lot versus um, until I had a license and access to a car sort of uh, trapped there. So that that's one you know behind the scenes I appreciate that. But um, you know my father um, he worked in sales. He was gone. He had to travel all the time. You know Monday through Friday, and I think he felt badly about that. Um, and one of the things that he did to try to connect was, um, of course, this is all way well before the internet, right? Um, he wrote the. Um, the various either chambers of commerce or convention and visitors bureaus of all these cities he was traveling to. Um, and then they would send me packets, uh, you know, and you get all the images, the maps of the city and like the skyline and whatnot. And so as a six-year-old, seven-year-old, I would draw uh, those cities a lot and um, came to just, I enjoy drawing, I enjoy sort of designing and this kind of thing. So that was kind of an early interest in cities on that level. Um, and, uh, and just came to really enjoy that and, and, um, interested in architecture. Um, and then, you know, a few years later into when we moved back to the Detroit area opportunity to work on a project and, um, sort of, uh, uh, self-study. And again, this is before the dawn of the internet, you know, the very early nineties where, um, uh, you know, a formal letter typed, uh, uh, you know, from a formal address would be received <laughs> as a formal person, right? Uh, so I was 10, but I wrote the transit agencies in, in Washington, New York, and LA, and um, the folks who put together the monorails at Disney and other things. Wow. And uh, they sent me all their specs um, and information, and I put this together in a, in a, a well-intended, certainly naive, uh, uh, you know, plan to help uh, Detroit's transit system. Uh, and I can only imagine... Um, if the letter even made it anywhere in the mayor's office, so that sort of package of how it was received. But uh, uh, nevertheless, it was sort of an early interest in that and, and trying to find a way to um, help improve a place. And like, that's, a, that's amazing to me. So you're 10 years old. Why on earth would you write all those people? Like what, was, what, what did you think was gonna happen? What was the motivation behind it? Uh, well, one, that uh, um, I knew that there were better things possible. Uh, um, just having visited a few of those other communities. And uh, at the time, uh, Detroit had a people mover that went all of three miles in one direction or, or like maybe two miles in downtown Detroit. And it really doesn't, didn't move people around. Um, but also just going back and forth between downtown and the various suburbs, you know, it, it um, for a long time, you know, was to characterized as American apartheid, right? Uh, so it was one of the most divided racially and socioeconomically borders. Um, and you don't need to have, have a college degree to perceive that. Um, so if you're 10 and you see that and uh, um, sort of asking questions why, um, and uh, and then you also have a sense though that the bones in a lot of those buildings were a lot better than the strip malls I was seeing when I was you know 
closer to the suburbs, starting to ask questions like, you know, this could be a really great place. And, and, uh, um, how do we, how do we bring people together? So that was, that was probably part of it behind the scenes. But also I, I was a 10 year old. I thought buildings were pretty cool. I thought trains were really cool. You know, put, you, put yourself in the mind of a 10 year old. Um, and, uh, just curious to learn more. That's amazing. So you ended up attending Notre Dame, mm-hmm. um, f- first to study government, your LinkedIn instead. Mm-hmm government and international relations. And then you later came back to architecture. But it's funny to me, at 10 years old, you were already drawing things, mm-hmm. already drawing cities, and already sending out you know, dossiers on the future of Detroit. Talk to me about that discernment process. Like when you came to Notre Dame, how did you feel? Why did you choose government? What mm-hmm. did your discernment process and academic life look like as an undergraduate? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. You know, I... Um, uh, I wouldn't say that I know this by memory. I know this because uh, a few years ago I had uh, occasion to be cleaning out a lot of things in my parents' house and sort of, but went back and saw my college essays to sort of for admissions. And they were on, uh, uh, it was on um, uh, the faith paradox and the Holocaust. Uh, so I looked at uh, Eli Wiesel and, and um, several other writers on that front. And uh, I mentioned that because I've always had an interest there on the sort of philosophical side. And when I came to to, to campus, um, uh, was enthralled by the prospects of, of architecture. But then also, there's so many other subjects. And if uh, architecture is it's it's a it's a phen- it's they have an incredible program. Um, uh, it is so demanding in terms of the schedule requirements. Only a handful of electives in five years. It's pretty much all just the architecture courses. Um, and I really wanted to get into, to dig in a little bit more in, in, in economics and philosophy and, and thinking about urban policy and knowing that form was one part of the equation. But if you didn't understand the dynamics behind, um, certainly economics and real estate finance have a big part in, in how a place comes together. And if you don't understand the social dynamics, then your buildings could be irrelevant. Um, so I tried to fashion an urban policy major and they had, and they still do have a, this great program called PPE, Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. So that's actually the the course that I pursued. It was organized around a um, uh, the justice seminar, looking at Rawls' theory of justice, and uh, um, and so through that, that was my my undergrad education, and it was it was great. Um, and one of the things that during the again coincidentally at the time never would have known this uh, uh, to have lasting relevance in, in the way that it has, um, but it's one of those happy accidents. Um, that I interned with Carl King, who is a, a local business leader who is, um, it's hard to characterize the impact he has had on the community. I mean, his IP and, and uh, behind so many different, you know, civic initiatives and nonprofits and other things that have been created. Um, Carl had just left being chairman of Crow to joining city council and working 90 hours a week as a city council member. So I interned with him. Um, I, I mentioned that because at a later point in life, he was chairing Mayor Pete's, um, or a key member of Mayor Pete's, um, sort of search committee for the role. So it, uh, it could have tied, tied swings and roundabouts, yeah. right? But, um, uh, graduation, um, comes up in undergrad and, and, uh, knowing I wanted to get further into the field and development and, uh, and design. And that's a fairly opaque world if you don't know it, but I crashed the architecture school career fair, uh, <laughs> um, started talking to folks and, uh, I ended up, um, with a great firm that was uh, running point on the Olympic bid for Washington DC. Wow. Um, and they brought together real estate finance and, and designers and planners. 
And so it was a night, it was a great place to be for a few years right out of school. So yeah. That's amazing. As you think about when you first arrived on campus, if I can kind of get huh. you to take a trip yeah. down Merrimley Lane, how would you describe Notre Dame and South Bend uh, and the region as a place then? And could you maybe begin to touch on some of the transformation that we're now seeing, you know, here in 2019? Because yeah. I'm just fascinated. Like I see pictures all the time. You look at stuff like the Hesburgh documentary, you know, you see all this history and what this space used to look like. It looked uh -huh. greener than before. I'm just fascinated when you kind of came in as an undergraduate based on what you were in, you know, used to in Detroit. What did, how did this space make you feel? Well, uh, the university has grown truly exponentially <clears throat> since that time. So entering in the fall of 97, they had uh, recently added four new dorms. Uh, and Which um, ones the, uh, the West Quad, so O'Neill and McGlynn and, and uh, wow. Welsh and um, Keogh. Um, and so that was a big deal, right? That was a big deal on campus, right? This new quad. Um, and, uh, but that hadn't even, it hadn't begun to, at the scale or the level of activity that has been characterized in the last 15 years. Um, you know, the, since 2006, research and development funding at Notre Dame has grown by 150%, um, at an annual rate of about 14% a year. And so prior to that, you can imagine there 10 years prior to that, it was, it was, um, fairly, it was you know, significant less. So the campus had a great campus feel. Um, it was a, a cohesive campus. It was one where there are familiar faces across campus. Um, it was very pedestrian. Uh, you, you didn't, you probably saw fewer people taking an Uber from one end to the other. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, but, uh, so it was, it was great. It was very, it was self-contained. I think we had, uh, you know, as a freshman, you, first semester you, you didn't you weren't able to keep a car on campus which was no issues with that at all um so you may take a transpo bus to the up mall um wow. you know you don't uh no eddy street at that point um there were a handful of places on 23 um you know the number of restaurants downtown you could uh kind of certainly less on one hand that that um just weren't there uh so it was more focused on campus and um, in many ways, that was lovely. I mean, it was a really sort of intimate campus. Right. And wh why did you come? I mean, we covered that. Mm -hmm. uh, was there opportunities to go to school in Detroit, the coasts? Did you have a yearning to travel to all those cities that you were drawn? I, I don't know if South Bend was one of the cities you were drawing mm -hmm. back then, you know, with your dad's dossiers, but yeah. what, what was the, why, why did you decide to go? Um, so I, uh, <clears throat> I think it was certainly Notre Dame. Um, I had options, yes, in some of the schools on the East Coast, um, and um, you know, some really strong universities. Almost all of them were in urban areas, um, which was in some ways really enticing. But the sense was you can you only get one campus experience, um, and that you know, perhaps grad school or a later date would be a time for a more urban school. Um, but that uh, to really be a part of that campus, that's um, in some ways a little bit separated from the world that's really focused uh, and that campus the experience was part of it. And then um, the, the, the sort of ongoing character education, uh, the, the influence of philosophy and theology on campus and thinking about those things through a moral lens and being able to speak about those things um, without having to caveat it. Um, that, um, I think that was appealing, um, but 
Um, and just knowing it was, it's just a great school across the board. What was it like when you're at campus coming back to Detroit every summer or, mm-hmm. you know, just on breaks, you know, do, do, do you kind of remember thinking, wow, there's a, there's a difference here that there's something else. Um, and I know you were obviously going to school during, mm-hmm. you know, a very tough time in Detroit. And we've kind of talked about that before, but I'm, I'm really interested in, in the contrast between those two spaces. I don't know if there's a huge contrast, honestly, between the, the scene in, in uh, uh, Detroit and in, in my experience, Detroit and South Bend, because I wasn't um, notably, right? I'm coming um, uh, from outside of Detroit, right? I'm not in the inner city at this point. Uh, and so I, um, and be fully honest about that because there's certainly, there are people who sort of claim that. And I'm not okay. one of those who's claiming that. Got I was, it. So I was you, were ju- you were just outside the city. Yeah, so okay. I, don't, I don't want to make that, uh, okay. certainly that assertion. But, um, you know, so in a lot of ways, there South Bend's a microcosm of Detroit, right? You have the, you know, suburban edge and and, uh, and the sort of polarity of, of investment and activity um, and a lot of those characteristics. Uh, and then you have areas where there's just blight and disinvestment. So it felt like a microcosm of Detroit in a lot of ways. Um, for me, a much more sort of stunning or uh, um, interesting comparison was when I studied abroad in London um, and then came back uh, after six months back to to the States. That for me was, that was my true first sincerely urban living experience. And this was during your time in Notre Dame? Yeah, in undergrad. So, um, and... Uh, that was it was a fin- phenomenal experience, but in many ways, my my first experience and in a lot of, in most of my my cohorts' first experience truly in a city, and uh, that I definitely saw my home through new eyes. So that's awesome. I had a, I had a similar experience. I think coming from London to oh my goodness, yeah, to South Bend, yeah. Um, but I, I'm I'm appreciative of it mm-hmm. because I think it's it's in the contrast. And the space between the lines that you you really do begin to re-examine mm-hmm. um, the space and place you've been. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a that's a really interesting, it's a really interesting narrative to Notre Dame. I know you said you studied abroad in London. You then spent time at Cambridge. Talk to me about that. Mm-hmm. You know what was why did you want to go? You know halfway across the world mm-hmm. to go and get another degree. Why Cambridge? You know what was the thought there? Did you feel like you needed exposure to? A different side of the world and, and that was going to kind of add to this nice. this psyche around kind of how we can build a better future um so uh so a few years in dc and i loved it and i met incredible people and it was um um it was an, it was a great experience one of the things it's nice you know i, I, I say jokingly that South, that dc was a bit like summer camp no one was from there no one intended on staying right but you had people from all over and they were just uh bringing a lot of fresh ideas and uh uh, it was a great experience. Um, I had gotten into that sort of consulting rhythm and oftentimes was validating the decisions that were made um, sort of upstream and wanted to get back to really helping to transform a place. Um, and at the same token, I had started a process but had not had a chance to follow through my senior year in applying for some um, certain postgrad fo- um, fellowships and, and scholarships. And so I wanted to take a stab at that. And, and, uh, as well as, um, I had this thought, uh, and again, I smile and I say this, you know, laughing, but that I would, I would do it differently. I'd be an enlightened developer. So rather than, than perhaps the MBA, um, going for a PhD in urban economics that, um, 
I've always had an interest there to both like teach and write, but also do practice. And so saw that as a good vehicle. And um, the uh, so I applied through those the, a couple of scholarships, um, made it through um, several interviews. Although I, I um, it's an interesting life lesson. In the the final interview for the Gates, um, the panel asked me uh, pick a Shakespeare play and recommend it to George Bush and Bin Laden and explain why. And uh, I had uh, I had been focusing so much on subject matter preparation and not broad that you know I kind of winged it, but I, I definitely did not, did not deliver on that one. And, um, and just the life lesson being that, uh, um, the next day I pick up the economist and I had that magazine with me in the waiting room, but I had been, you know, focusing and it was like the third story. in. they sort of start with an allusion to Shakespeare talking about the Gulf war at the time. No and way. so it's just interesting about sometimes those things are right in front of you. And if you try to go against the grain or force it, how, uh, you might be cutting yourself off. So, but, um, yeah, so uh, got to Cambridge and they they had a program. Um, uh, again, that kind of goes back to my interest at the intersections of things uh, and planning growth and regeneration, uh, which is really urban economics and, and um, urban planning coming together with real estate finance. So j- just so I've got that straight, so you had applied for a couple post fellowships, uh, postgraduate fellowships. Um, Gates was one of them. Uh-huh. You didn't end up getting Gates. Didn't get Gates. I got um, uh, some support from Cambridge directly. Got it. Yeah. And then you walk into one of the best universities on the planet. So what what was the learning there? I mean, you, you kind of touched on it with the magazine, but do you think it was meant to be? Yes. Uh, well, my, um, it made, it was an, it was a holistic education. I'll tell you because, uh, I didn't know, you know, going back to, going to Cambridge, I didn't know anybody at that point in UK, right? Going back and uh, so not, not meeting Detroit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Detroit right, campus, right, just right? Over, yeah. So, literally, it was um, going uh, entirely new, which I was excited by the adventure. Um, it, uh, um, I had an opportunity to, and I wanted to, to really engage the whole bandwidth. So, I got involved with some you know, student groups, I played sports, I did those other things in addition to the, the graduate studies. And um, in a lot of ways, I learned was more through some of the the friendships and social engagements who um, ended up, you know, introducing me to their hometowns in Northern England or wherever it may be, uh, or, you know, Channel Islands. And um, the Yorkshire boys teach you rugby, right? Yes, we played, played <laughs> rugby, exactly. And uh, once I could finally understand exactly what they were saying, I'm sure I probably, uh, uh, but uh, uh, but no, no, it was, um, you know, I appreciated it, it, the the intellectual life there was a model and it, it uh, I appreciated what really is possible in a, in a great university. Um, the students were bright, but they also were, um, I appreciate their audacity. Uh, so, you know, they have a charity um, event where the goal is to see who can get as far away from Cambridge without spending any money. Um, and so basically it's it's leaning on these students sort of persuasive skills. And uh, every year someone would get to Asia, you know, like, you know, in 48 hours, they would have somehow walked, talked themselves go through security and whatnot. So I just, you know, I, you know, sitting down with people who were, um, you know, swimming the channel that weekend or something. Right. Right. Um, and so my, my image is I'm, uh, I have no pretense that I'm at the table with these folks. I'm, I'm standing at the table, kind of, uh, my eyes are kind of at the table looking up, uh, to these folks around the table, but that's, I wouldn't want it in either way. Um, I, uh, um, so I learned a lot and, and really appreciated, um, both not only the work in 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 the program, but also just the the friendships and 
one of whom, um, uh, a good friend of mine became my best man. So that's pretty amazing. And yeah. he, was, he was a Brit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's a polar explorer. So oh, Hugh. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. Cause I think, I think one of the things I've loved about, you know, coming to the U S and now, mm -hmm. you know, this is really my full-time residence and getting a degree from here is that you're always different. You're always interesting to people. You, know, you don't sound the same. And um, because of that, you, you kind of have this license to ask the dumb questions and mm -hmm. everybody kind of brings their Sunday best because, mm -hmm. you know, you're a guest, you know, mm -hmm. you're a foreigner and they want to show you a good time. Mm -hmm. So I've always found actually that I think I was able to unlock a space that maybe wasn't available to others because of the fact that I knew nothing about it. Um, and so maybe some of that Absolutely. you know, it was and, actually valuable. Oh, absolutely. And I didn't know the, I probably didn't know the boundaries I was crossing, right? Or the things that, so yeah, it was absolutely, um, so yeah, it was great. That's so awesome. So from Cambridge, mm -hmm. where, where do we go, right? You've got two degrees in hand at this point. Mm -hmm. You've had a couple years in consulting. Mm -hmm. you've, you've got a degree in, in, in architecture as well. Not yet. No, Not yet. No. Okay. So that's, that's the next piece. Mm -hmm. So talk to me, you finish Cambridge, it's graduation day. Where do you go? So at this point, anyone is listening, if anyone were listening, they would, um, you can tell my life is anything, but, uh, uh, is it definitely not a linear path? Uh, um, but, um, I would have stayed for the PhD though. The work got really, um, was really heading in a, in a deeply abstract vein and I wanted to move back towards applied, um, and, and, uh, and help to, to shape a place. And so I, um, I came back stateside. I was, uh, I was applying, um, for some jobs and also for to consider thoughts in, in design school and thought, well, originally I was going to get a PhD in urban economics. The same amount of time I can, having had my master's, I can still get a master's of architecture and about the same point in life have that, you know, and that was maybe part of the calculus, but, um, uh, uh, we, life happens. Uh, we, um, we lose my dad in an accident while I was home. Uh, and so you just sort of respond. And so it, it did, you know, for one reason or another, I was meant to be back in um, in Detroit at that time. Uh, it was a it was a pretty big reversal to to um, hanging out in, in in London and gallivanting around with all these interesting people at Cambridge to going back to my teenage bedroom uh, in uh, um, what was a sort of challenging year, but you know, um, good ex you know, still important experience. I look back, I I read a ton because I didn't know anyone you know town at that point and and. Uh, I also, I, I, for healthcare, I started working at Starbucks. Um, I was doing some consulting for my old firm in DC, but um, that was a, that was a great experience too, just to... Um, Do you want me to be a barista? Oh, uh, come on, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but they, uh, we had a lot of, we had a certain... Um, there were some folks that came through that were particularly high maintenance and had a, <laughs> clearly had a very high sense of self. And they would come in, they would bark a 12 syllable order and, and uh, <laughs> while they're on their cell phone and sort of, um, and kind of throw money at you. And uh, when you know where they call out the drinks, um, we would do that, but we would add pronto on the end of the order. Of course, the customer thought, well, they know I'm important. And pronto for us was, well, absolutely get this guy decaf. And if there's the milk's <laughs> a little old, use that milk. So, you know, it was, um, we had fun with that. But no, it was, it was great experience. And just the community there of, uh, um, you just see how society is sort of rolling along at this point of, you know, the, 
the the brotherhood of the strip mall if uh, you know the quiznos guys the starbucks you know all up and down and how right this sort of almost even a barter there you know system you know between um that was fascinating just to see it was also interesting just to see how people treat other people and um you know someone would ask for a half calf and they would stop and say son that's half decaf half calf you know and um and you know there's probably a little bit of pride there as i'm like okay i got it you know but uh um, but so that's the same, quite the come down from, yeah, but, but it was, uh, uh again, incredible. And I, and I worked with great people, right. really great, great people. So, um, and people at all walks of life. Uh, so, um, so that was a great experience. And then, um, went down to Miami, you know, there are two schools that are really, um, that really teach traditional urbanism and architecture. And they're sort of at the, the hotbed of the new urbanism. And Miami is, is one of them, University of Miami. And that's where uh, Elizabeth Platter Zyberg uh, is, the, is the dean. Um, she's the partner of Dwayne Platter Zyberg. They're very famous. They, they developed Seaside and they're sort of credited with this whole um, program. So I went down to Miami uh, to study there and, um, uh, and also had an opportunity to intern with DPZ. Uh, and that was, was a really good experience yeah. um and that was also the year of katrina and wilma and rita these hurricanes dpz was tapped to lead the redesign effort in in new orleans wow um so that led to some really fascinating opportunities um working in a fema tent uh um in some really hard-hit neighborhoods thinking about both design and policy and and, and trying to help heal uh, the city so that was that was great experience wow so you in that story, I mean, I mean, we're not even half the way there, but just the amount of different places and spaces that you had inherited is unbelievable. So when you think about design and you think about policy, um, is it that empathy that you got from being a, what, a PhD graduate from Cambridge back as a barista at Starbucks getting told what a half-calf is? Like, does that build empathy when you think about designing communities, building communities, creating ecosystems that may have been destroyed or you know haven't been thriving for years is is that where you get your empathy from uh the extent which i guess i had empathy i would say that there's that's certainly a, a source um just um being outside the comfort zone and experiencing those things um is i it does help at least it sort of checks your perspective um the um you know in some ways though it, um it means i'm never an expert um, because I'm always sort of seemingly in sort of on new ground. Um, and, uh, and sometimes that people distrust that they're like, you know, who is this, this interloper? Um, but it, uh, you know, buildings and ideas, ideas come from other ideas, buildings come from other buildings. And, um, you know, the, in the Renaissance, they were very intentional about the role of the muses. Uh, that's where design comes from, right? It's not, um, uh, it's it's the quotations from the past that you sort of build on, and so that's the same way with with policy and, and literature too. And um, it's this uh, um, we don't necessarily invent things out of the blue, right? So the, having those experiences and understanding how those places had come together, um, I'd like to think helps inform um, you know a, a current lens. Wow, what brings you back to mid to the Midwest? I mean, did you spend long in the you know the beautiful Miami Heat, or was it, was it a brief mm. stint? And you know, I'd I'd love to dive in in a few minutes about you know what you really learned from Katrina because mm-hmm. I mean, I think you said you had worked in a FEMA tent as well, right? Yeah, FEMA, yeah, yeah, so FEMA, yeah, yeah. A FEMA tent. Like, I'm just interested. Like, when people's space is taken away from them, mm-hmm. you know, what happens? 
you know where does that identity now come from oh um well that's a whole subject in its own right, right. um but uh um you know one of the threads throughout is i'm incredibly fortunate to have worked with um some truly great minds um and, and andres duani is is you know up there is uh and you know so his insight on this one of them was this point's what 2005 and he's coming from miami where in 1992 you had hurricane andrew and there's a generation of kids uh who are now adults whose entire life was in a temporary fema trailer so let's not recreate that process in new orleans let's try to find a way that we can build uh, disaster relief housing at a low cost that is uh, designed contextual and inappropriate um, and you know sort of beautiful that gives some pride of place even though if it's it's you know semi-temporary um, and uh, um, because yeah the when you when you go back to blank slate that can be pretty devastating um, there's and there's a lot there Katrina's I mean it, it touches on a lot of social justice issues too right um, and but we, one of the communities, I'll not forget, we're working on uh, both in the city, but then also at one of the communities on the edge. And there were a lot of post, post-war 1950s, 60s, 70s developments that were built on land that frankly shouldn't necessarily hold human settlement, right? That was land that was pretty much below water, and, but it's your typical you know, sprawl. And there was a moment in one of these town halls where Andres said, the storm did you a favor um, because the, this infrastructure was already deteriorating this was um a suboptimal environment for all of these reasons and you have a chance now to really start with you know a leg up and uh i swallowed i was like yeah how is this is going to go and and you know there were some was met but at the end you know a number of those recommendations were adopted and people saw i think they they started to see that they started to understand that um it became a little bit more legible uh, about the the elements of place or places like um in the French Quarter versus what they were experiencing at the edge. Right. And how old are you at this point? 25, 26. So, so you you have all of these different mm -hmm. experiences and, and gigs. You know, you really are a true portfolioist. Portfolioist, sorry. Maybe before your time. How did, how did you discern when it was time for a change? And, and how did these new opportunities kind of come around? Were they by virtue of, you know, your story, your relationship building? You know, I, it's, it's hard to say what's push and what's pull. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there's also a sense that, um, uh, um, there's also sort of a seeker element trying to, and I think I've answered some of those questions now in my head, but there was a lot of curiosity too. And, um, and uh so an opportunity arose there and there was additional funding to, to to come to notre dame at that point and they were kind of building up some new intellectual research academic resources um and so i ended up finish, finishing my degree here at notre dame um i had the good fortune of graduating um in 09 uh which at that point unemployment in architecture was at 70 percent um and people were talking about a generation without building um I was very, very fortunate to have landed a spot with um, uh, Stephanos Polyzoides, Mulan Polyzoides, which is uh, another one of the co-founders of the New Urbanism. They're based in LA in Pasadena, very influential. Stephanos was the dean at USC and sort of a godfather of, uh, um, of urbanist architects in, in the West Coast, especially, um, and, and just an extraordinary man, um, and as is, is Liz Mulan, his wife and, and partner. Um, 
So, uh, um, so that one was one where I, um, I knew their work. They did both architecture and urbanism. There were a lot of firms. It's rare for firms to do both or either. So some folks do the city, other folks do the, the house, right? The extremes. And, um, it was hard for me to think about one without the other. And, um, the, the architects I admired in history are those who had that, that range. Um, and, uh, so that was, and so that was one of the really unique um, factors. And, and so, um, I moved to LA sight unseen, uh, and in the peak of, of 70% of unemployment, right, right. Right. So how the hell do you get that, that job? Uh, well, I mean, it, one, I, I've, um, I had in no, in no shape made a name at all, uh, in the new urbanism, but I had been, um, a familiar face since, um, the earlier days and, and involved as, a, uh, as an undergraduate student, even in that group. And so I'd gotten to know a number of people in that, in that vein. So I was, had advanced that level. I, um, it was through, I think some of my projects, you know, in architecture so often it's, it's, it's not the conversation, it's the work, right? So they look at your portfolio and your interests and that kind of thing. And, um, and, uh, so I was very, very fortunate. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, I actually drove all back roads from essentially Colorado to Southern California. Yes, I want to hear about this. That's a, that's a whole other story, but I will tell you, I spent a day, I'll never forget a day in Eastern spine of Utah where the only radio station I could get was, um, from the Navajo nation and they were playing a Johnny Cash record. Um, and it was just epic. I didn't see another car that day. It was amazing. It was wow. Gorgeous. Um, LA was, was great. Um, in that, uh, I had no expectations. I think if you had ever put out there on my life map, I'd say there's no way in heck I'd ever be in, in LA. So, uh, and everyone who knows me does not, would never anticipate that being the city for my personality or whatnot. Um, I could see a Hollywood cameo. Oh, uh, but I, but so for what it's worth, it, um, uh, it's a little bit like Cambridge, like where you go with sort of unassuming. And I didn't know, I didn't really know anybody there either. And, uh, um, and made an adventure of it. And I was a bit of a tourist and, uh, um, it was great. I explored and, uh, you know, the city is urbanizing inside of itself. It's in a lot of ways, it's more diverse and more integrated than New York. Um, and, uh, there's just, there, I just, there's so much to learn there and I enjoyed the topography and, and whatnot. So it was a great experience. We, and the projects were, were the kind of projects you only get if you work with someone like Stephanos. So we were, um, in East LA, uh, and you know, there um, they tasked me as the junior person to map the gang boundaries in the neighborhood um, because we weren't going to put a community center um, and make design decisions that would run against the grain for in the community. Um, and that was that was really interesting. It was it was humbling. And, and yes, I wore uh, khaki shirt and khaki pants because you didn't want to have red, wear red or blue. Um, uh, we worked in Fresno. Um, on a series of projects, uh, in a neighborhood that one that had 21 shots in 20 days. Uh, and, um, that, and I'll pause there just because I think that was one of the most influential parts for me in, in my professional career. So we're staying at the same hotel in downtown Fresno, um, you know, over a, an eight month period. And, um, there was, uh, one of the, the folks from the community was this really imposing, intimidating, uh, a gentleman shaved head, like six, seven, six, eight, maybe 300 pounds. Um, and super baritone voice. Um, and, and he was, uh, I think he worked at the hotel and he 
he stepped into the elevator and I just said, you know, how are you doing? And, and he said, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Every day I'm alive. I'm blessed. But it was this sort of cinematic moment when he sort of turned and uh, it just came at this interesting point, right? So, um, you know, just register that. But then uh, fast forward six months, we're in one of the final charrettes, which are these big design, you know, presentations to the community. And he walks up and he's in his janitor's uniform or not. And just this really big, burly, intimidating guy. And he hands a, a letter that's been typed and it's in about four sentences. Um, and he just said, I've lived here my entire life. Um, I always thought this was, you know, uh, you know, I, I lost hope. And he's like, you guys have re-envisioned what this community, you've made me believe in this community again. Um, and it was this incredible letter and there wasn't a dry, like we saw this. And just imagine again, a, a guy who's, you have a sense, probably doesn't say a lot, right? This is this <laughs> big intimidating. And he hands this letter about how we've helped him love his community and see it in a new way. And it's like that, I really appreciate what was possible through the work, so. Wow, that's, a, that's, a, that's an incredible story. And th the experience in Fresno, you know, under one of the gods of, of new urbanism, like, did, you, did you feel like you were, you were making it? You know, because it's it's not really fair to say that you were ever worried. I think about making it to the top of the architecture world, mm -hmm. and maybe more around impact. But what was more valuable, right? The working under the master or, or getting a note like that? I, I'm intrigued. Well, I don't think you can separate those two. Um, and uh, the one of the nice things about architecture and urbanism, particularly if you. I would say only if you practice it in, in with an eye towards tradition and history is that you're measured against such incredible people that there's no risk of, there's not a risk of pride there, right? You're just, and it's, it's, it. a, it's a very humbling, humbling uh, discipline. And it's also one where people hit their stride at 50. So uh, uh, being 27, 8, 29, I had no illusions. Uh, and I was definitely um, at the... Um, I had no illusions at all about, so it was not a sense of, of making it. It's not the same. Um, right. um, and in a very, in, in a good way, it's, it's not banking or something where someone might attach themselves to, to some major global and, and assume that personality. Right. Um, so, uh, um, it was working under a master in that sort of apprenticing element. So you, um, that is one where so it's true fountainhead style. Uh, not well or anti fountainhead right because that it's because you know it's it's um the nice thing about urbanism is it's about other people and it's also in the fourth dimension of time is the a lot of the stuff that you'll end up designing and planning for won't be implemented in the next two years or five years and you're lucky 10 years but you know when Lafont laid out washington dc was a you know 120 years later before they really got to reach his plan right so um, that's also a humbling element too about it. It's uh, so you're always playing the long game. Yeah, I think you have to. Um, I think short-termism is one of the pox on our time, um, right. just across the board in the financial markets and um, and and just the way that we approach so many things. So yeah, were you in a rush? I mean, and what I, what I like about the, the your story is it kind of has a grace to it. It never feels like you were chasing after nothing. And I think about you know our generation, and we have so much comparison almost to our detriment and this person did this at this age mm -hmm. she did this at this age we've got to be here my dad was there doesn't sound like you were in a rush you were kind of playing your own game in your own world uh it's interesting you say it i i my inner experience might be the opposite right the, okay, uh, I that, yeah. like i like uh um because you have the 
you know, working at an architecture firm with those who had started 18, right? You had a decade of run, you know, runway and I'm joining the scene at 28, right? So there, I have lots of other interesting experience, but, you know, part of that, that game is the discipline of just how, how good is your hand, right? You know, how, you know, um, it's great that you know all those theories and whatnot, but can you detail a window, right? So um, it, uh, it, um, I felt a little bit of that, that, you know, maybe in, in some ways that, uh, um, how much do you, do you, do you try to make it happen versus how much do you let it happen? Um, and that's something that I've been really interested in more recently about this sort of idea of you know, receptivity, being aware, uh, uh, a lot of times the answers are around us, but if we're so focused on the answer that we think we need, then we kind of miss out on those other things. So how, how do you, how do you not have blinders on then? Is it about the people you surround yourself with? Is it, is it the, the self-talk, the mindset? Mm-hmm. I think that's a fascinating point you made. Um, I think it's, uh, it's about developing those practices. Um, if it's meditation, if it's also reading, um, but, um, just kind of grounding yourself and making just, I think being aware in the moment and, you know, the having been fortunate to be around some incredible, truly incredible thinkers and, and people like Mayor Pete or Andres or Stefanos or, um, Jonathan Graves, who I have the benefit of, of, of working for right now. Um, I have the sense everyone's looking at the same things, just some people see more. And um, I credit that in part to their awareness and presence. Um, and and so that's something that um, I try to remind myself and, and try to develop. But. Yeah, it's a great quote, right? Uh, talent hits the target that nobody can reach and, and genius hits the target that nobody can see. <laughs> yeah, but we're all looking at the same things, right? And so that's the amazing part. Uh, and, um, and so that's, and, and part of that is the grace of, um, being aware of, of those opportunities when they're around you. Right. So, so after Fresno, where, where'd you go? Uh, so, uh, so the model in LA was, um, with Stephanos is one of very much like a perpetual graduate student and just phenomenal work, but you you're, you're in apprentice mode. Are you paid? You're paid, okay. but, but it's, an, it's kind of this apprentice mode and, uh, um, and I, um, I also, you know, so that, yeah, I felt that rush that, uh, those who had the most authority in, in the field were also licensed architects and in the, the anticipated future within that role, it was all suburban design projects. That an opportunity to help start a, a studio in Chicago. And so I came, uh, and I'm a Midwestern person. I sort of started, I knew that I wasn't going to be forever LA person still it did feel like it was a tour it wasn't a place i was going to get my roots uh so um uh, i came back to to chicago and uh um and then ultimately was working um you know at that point the only people building in 09 or 10 is just super high in residential um so it's a in some ways a stretch um from where my root interest kind of started in the design architectural world. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I was deeply appreciative because you get to do beautiful work and yeah. then work with, um, um, on a project that's, uh, you know, it's a house the size of an institution. Um, and, uh, and I, I appreciate that work. Um, and, uh, but at that same time, um, through several friends, I met this, um, was introduced to this young man who had a, some, a bold vision and, um, uh, a lot of good questions. And, uh, he, um, was talking about his interest, to an opportunity there to, to really help change a, a, a town in the Midwest. And so, um, 
when Pete, um, we started those conversations, he was elected. Um, and then soon thereafter, Mayor Pete um, invited me to to say, we'd love to have your perspective in South Bend full time. How did you meet him? Um, so through, um, uh, through friends who had recommended us together. So he was interested in things with urban policy and kind of putting the city together. They knew that I was back in Chicago. <laughs> um, Catherine Roos was one of those connections, uh, Carl King, you know, some others like that. Uh, so it came to be, we started talking and continuing those conversations. And mm -hmm. then um, he said, uh, it's come to South Bend. So I had to self, self mend uh, uh, to my fiance um, who had no context for it or Notre Dame. Um, wow. and, uh, um, she likes to say it was her first instant in, in um, instance of selectal marital listening, but, uh, <laughs> we, uh, she thought we'd somehow commute to both, but, um, we moved here in 2012 and love it. And, you know, and after a sort of itinerant decade and, and, uh, and change, um, you know, happy to say we have roots. We're here and, uh, um, you know, just an incredible community. And I remember the night we pulled up with the U-Haul in our neighborhood, um, Sunday night after dark, people we never met, neighbors on both sides came out to help us move our stuff in. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot there. So, wow. So, to, to, not, to not play devil's advocate, but just to kind of, again, the way you say, I met Pete and we moved. Uh, I mean, obviously, a huge deal for you, mm -hmm. a huge deal for fiance. Um, and at that time, you know, 2011, 2012, South Bend wasn't necessarily in the, in the dizzy heights it is today. Mm -hmm. And Mayor Pete was not on the, the front cover of Time magazine. So what was it about this guy and this mm -hmm. place that were you as comfortable inside as you sound now? Mm -hmm. Was there uh, something wrestling is, is this the right decision? Talk, talk me through that. Like when Pete asked you, was yeah. it, it was like, that, that's it. It's gotta be there. <clears throat> it was pretty quick. Uh, so the, going back to the push pull, the push was uh, uh, as much as I, I, I loved architecture, I didn't necessarily enjoy being head down with with headphones on all day doing the de just detail work like i enjoy people and kind of that was that was kind of a piece that was um elusive uh uh the pull was um you rarely get an opportunity sometimes in in the, the field in, in urbanism you're brought in as a consultant but at best you're leaving behind a plan there rarely is there an opportunity to go in and actually help implement those things and be a part of both the development of the vision and implementing it um and uh um and you want to go to a place there where there's there's work to be done um you know there's it's uh it's no fun living in a place that's already done it's you know it's a full set piece um you know you want to the the calling and for me i was simple i mean i i um uh especially when the chips are down and everybody's like yeah throwing the towel on on the upper midwest and you know they're never gonna be able to compete with you know atlanta or whatever else um, that's why I get defensive, you know, about the chip and, and I, I, uh, um, and so I was drawn to the community. It resonated with me. Um, and I thought what a, what an incredible opportunity. And also one where it was very evident from the get-go that he wanted to one challenge the status quo, but in a lot of ways also bring the best ideas to bear. And he wasn't afraid of, there's a better idea. Let's talk about it. Right. Um, and, uh, and it doesn't take much, you, anybody spending any time with him knows just you get a sense of how truly extraordinary he is. Um, and so those things were all um, really compelling. And uh, um, for me, a big part of it is being able to have an impact or make a difference. And that was a chance to do that and kind of bring together interests in both economics and design um, policy and um, kind of help help to 
particular place. So what does that first day look like? You arrive in the U-Haul, you get unpacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, walk into, Pete introduces me into a room of the department and, and it had been previously two separate departments that they were suggesting be combined into one uh, that we ultimately rebranded as community investment. Um, folks were seated in a big circle. There were you know 30 to 30 people. Um, I have that much more empathy now in the situation um, because at the time, you know, they had been under um, previously the longest serving mayor and you just hadn't had, you know, what is it like when there's a new CEO to an organization, right? And just wholesale change, you know. Um, so yeah, they, like he was. Yeah, had been there for a long, exactly. And so um, um, when Pete comes in, they know that part of it's about change. They're all, I'm sure they have job security concerns and whatever else. And then also, I'm a fresh face. Like I am not from, I didn't go to high school here. I wasn't, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of creature of city hall or these things. So I'm sure that, uh, it was, um, uh, they were looking at me like what, what's about, you know, how's this going to go? And at the same token, um, you know, I'm, uh, I had this deep appreciation. The tenure in the team was literally in the decades for many of them. Um, and, uh, who am I to sit here and just start to change direction? So, um, but it was, you know, people were, were, I think friendly and cautious. And then it was, uh, and then it was off to running. I mean, um, uh, and I, there was such an incredible team, you know, at the city, uh, with, with Mark Neal and, and certainly Mike Schmuel and, and Catherine Ruse, in addition, certainly Pete, but then guys like Gary Jalot. And then, uh, then you have this, we're very benefit, we benefit, um, there's this, you know, cohort of civically minded, uh, former, I'll just say, you know, business leaders in the community who are volunteering 60 hours a week, who, who wanted to sort of mentor and help. And so that it was great to, to tap into all those different, um, those resources as we were working together. It was, it was a great feeling because it was, um, the work was cut out for us. I think everybody wanted to succeed. It wasn't, um, um, you know, early on, it wasn't, um, you know, a strong competing vision for it or this kind of thing. So that was, it was great. Um, but yeah, I was, but, um, it's, where do you start? It's pulling, you know, it's a huge knot The the unemployment's 14%, probably much higher than that. Um, there were issues, right. We had, you know, this was depopulating. We had, um, hall of fame had just left downtown. We've had 11 vacant, major vacant, vacant buildings. Bosch had just left, um, you know, a 400,000 square foot facility. Um, and, uh, and so there were some it was a little bit of a burning platform. So, yeah. uh, so up front, the, the thought was we need to get some points on the board. It's, it's, it's really work on, um, on, on attracting some jobs. And then, uh, um, but it was very, very quickly, we came to the appreciation that even before that, it's about changing the culture and the perception. Um, so what's it like to, to work with, uh, community investment. And so, um, just bringing a customer service uh, approach to it that, it's not so much we're doing anyone a favor, they're doing us a favor by coming in and it's, uh, let's treat, um, just try to professionalize and, um, uh, things in that regard and, um, and, and be, um, really intense on the follow-up and rapid response and, uh, be available so that things could move as, you know, at the speed of business. And, and, uh, um, and so that was part of sort of the culture change. And then fortuitously, um, I was in, I just met this, uh, this man, um, I've, come to greatly, really, really, um, appreciate, but Lawrence, uh, Greenspan with the Drucker Institute, who through a, a life, um, 
uh, sort of a happy accident of his own. He ends up in South Bend, though they're based in LA. Um, and he wanted to develop the leadership platform that they offer, the C-suite at Starbucks and, and GE and, and Walmart um, to public sector employees. And I said, why don't you beta test that with our team? And uh, they did that. And so over two years, um, having the benefit of that for the team was great because here's someone who, Lawrence is really, really gifted as a writer. Um, and so, but he's also very, he's very um, uh, results driven, mm -hmm. but he was a nice buffer between a lot of the, the metrics we were pushing, um, you know, as administration, trying to get people on board with kind of quant heavy. He could get people thinking, but he could also bridge that by getting the stories in place. And so it was, it was a great, just a collective experience for the whole department. It's right. great. Were you, were you trying to recreate that Fresno moment? And was there ever a time where you thought this, this platform is burning too quickly? Uh, the, so tell me about the Fresno moment. What do you mean? So the, the note that mm -hmm. uh, the janitor handed over to you, right? Which said, you know, I've lived here for years. Just want to say thank you for, for really setting a vision and bringing this back to life. Did you feel like you had to try and recreate that type of moment right here in South Bend? Uh, never thought about that reaction, but absolutely about changing the vision how people see it, right? So um, through engagement within the new urbanism, fortunately to, to know, I think, uh, or having met many of the, the I think some of the, the sharpest thinkers who are also incredibly pragmatic and um, entertaining, but also just brilliant. So bringing them in town, so leveraging that through different sources of um, uh, the National Realtor Board, for example, has a grant. So we use that to get really good speakers in town and get lots of media coverage and have other people tell the story about what's possible and how we should be, you know, what, what, what the value and the opportunity is of the place. So part of that was helping people see it in a different light. Um, and, uh, and, and see it through that different lens. Um, and so I think that was, um, that was absolutely critical too. Right. And how do you create that lens? Is it, is it storytelling? Is it, is it wins on the board? Is it both? It's, it's both. Cause you have to be, people aren't going to believe you. Uh, it has to be legitimate. It has to be married with results. Um, one of the, um, the nice groups that, that kind of help bridge that is a group called Zimmerman Voke. Um, they're, a, they can, they have the only, um, um, anticipated market demand for residential populations or projected residential demand for, for market rate units um, when there's no comps. So that's our issue, right? Uh, the first developer in 2012 to build an urban um, unit, the banks are looking at, you know, what are the comps? And there aren't any comps for urban living in, in North Central Indiana at the time. So uh, it's a chicken or the egg. And the benefit, Zimmerman Vogue had done 500 of these uh, that their results had been borne out. They're bankable, essentially. Um, so bringing them in helped bridge that because it gave very quantitative things that people could get their arms around, but also very much spoke to that story about urbanism. So that was one piece, but that helped. I think that took, the, took a little bit of the edge off um, for the um, for developers and then the bankers. And, and again, I should say uh, community investment, our team, or one agent uh, in a larger community of a number of activities that we're leaning for. There were certainly elements at, at the University of Notre Dame at the time. There were things going on um, um, just across the region that were, I think, part of that broader awareness about place. But I'd like to think that we helped really highlight that conversation. Um, but then, pardon me, we earned a lot of um, 
we're in credibility with jobs announcements. And I think the more so that, that, that was the key, that was part of it too. Yeah, absolutely. So we had to, and, and fortunate that there were several big companies that had made, um, uh, made relocation decisions. And again, of course, the upside in having so many empty buildings that you have, you have buildings for people to move into. So businesses want to move quickly. We had ready places and, uh, and we aligned our incentives in a way that we could give them, you know, a result and, you know, and a handful of minutes we could estimate the incentives for them. So, um, that, uh, that helped, I think, build some good momentum that then we could then parlay into some of the, the urban design projects. That's incredible. So when you, when you talk about um, credibility, um, there's obviously a, a professional credibility that you, you definitely build through results and you know, creating value for the organization that you, you represent. Um, but I'm really interested in, in the kind of community credibility. So you've already mentioned jobs, um, but is there, is there a visual that just builds credibility in, in your mind? Like the visual of, of space, of, of beautiful buildings, of people walking the streets, talking, shopping, learning, sitting, like that that to me seems to be a, another sense of credibility. And sometimes I feel like that visual credibility can create an environment where people start to do different things. Uh -huh. um, there's a great uh, Netflix documentary abstract on this and, and the woman whose name I'm now forgetting uh, who designed Soho House kind of talks about space as, as, as really redefining history because it forces people to do things in the way that the lights are made, the chairs are designed, the tables positioned that they wouldn't have done otherwise. So how much of a, how much of a visual did you perspective did you bring to South Bend in the office of community investment? Uh, so, um, so I'll take that a few steps. One is, uh, the purpose of the department, how we reorganized it was that we avoided the segregation of economic development and community development. Is I thought that was an artificial separation, uh, and in any project, wanted to have someone there that was in terms of the the business development side, the neighborhood and sort of community development side, the planning side, and the workforce development. Because it doesn't make any sense to build to incentivize a building at the edge to which there's no transit connections or street connections, to which um, there aren't any workforce training programs for, um, or you know, you need to think about it collectively. So, for me, uh, um, and you know. One of the things that did exist in the past was there had been, I walked into an environment um, and the mayor was very skeptical of planning um, and with with healthy good reason because there had been a litany of plans uh, beforehand. Um, but the plans, you need to have both. You need to have plans and in, in, in implementation. So um, whenever we were to undertake any of these plans, one, we had set aside, and this was, I think, his wisdom up front. I really appreciate this, Mayor Pete's. Of, of setting aside a certain amount of capital funding before we even started the plan. So that the minute the plan is done, we hit go on something and people see shovels move. Um, the, uh, the other thing is we didn't do anything for infrastructure urban design in which there wasn't a business development market component. So how do you move market forces? Part of it is spatially. How do you reorganize? There are fundamental ways that we organize uh, space that actually lend themselves to interaction activity and, and whatnot and those that drive us apart. Um, so. But even if you get the curbs right and whatnot, if you don't have the market forces, it's not gonna. So we always brought those together. Um, the visuals were important, um, but I will say um, again, um, don't assume that everyone sees the same thing. Uh, and and you know, uh, 
some may see, hey, that's a space for the the college educated creative class. Um, that's not a space for me. I don't see people like me in that picture. I don't see my neighborhood doesn't look like that. Um, I, you know, uh, don't tell me what they do in Ann Arbor or uh, Durham. Tell me what they do in my block, right? Um, and so, and and that's very fair. So you got to meet people where they are, and um, and and go through that conversation in a way that, and you have to be, and you have to approach it. Um, with humility and not assume you're not going to dictate. Um, these are people who are going to have to walk that street every day. Um, and so you have to, um, it's an iterative process and learn with them. But then also, um, uh, I think it's important. And that was a nice part about doing it as a, as within the city versus being a consultant. Cause like you knew you're going to live with the work, um, and, uh, and show up every day. So. When does an ecosystem begin to have a self-sustaining story, identity, and, and character? Is there a tipping point that you've seen? I don't know how articulate I can be on this subject. I'm thinking about, uh, there's this concept of genus loci, right? The spirit of a place. Um, and, you know, when the ancients were planning cities, um, they they had access to certain mecha- you know, ways of perceiving the world that we have since lost. But they knew some. They did something right because if you think about Paris, Rome, uh, Istanbul, <clears throat> London, Berlin, um, these are communities with staying power. Um, there's something about those environments, right, that have sustained civilizations for millennia, multi-millennia, um, and yet you don't know if the same thing is is existing about. I don't want to pick on any town, but you know it's interesting, right? Because cities in in the U.S. are um, uh, were founded with the exceptions of of Washington D.C. Um, Cities here are just found on commercial purposes, and it's a question there of uh, um, when the commercial purposes move on, does the city still need to exist? Um, so, does that story emerge? Um, does it emerge in reflection um, in the sort of the sort of um, uh, nostalgia of the past that then gets reassumed um, in the moment, or is it? You know, I do wonder how present it is at the time. Um, so. Um, uh, so I think that's part of it. I also think too, um, the, how, you know, I, I jokingly talk about the rate of return, but you know, in college, the, the, the kids I knew from Philadelphia all ended up back in Philadelphia. Uh, and I think when you have those kind of cycles that might lend itself more to that narrative because people, there's a, an identity there that they're going back and reinforcing when you have a more transient place, it's harder to lock into that narrative. Um, I, I think we have a lot of cities now that are pursuing it uh, from a marketing end that is, um, it is synthetic, not authentic. And I think that a lot of that stuff hasn't, hasn't stuck or resonated. Um, so it, it uh, um, often does come out of the counterculture, the arts and other things, um, and then gets polished a little bit. Um, and um, sometimes those are turning points, um, but, uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, you know, for the um, in we the joke in economic development in Indiana is that every city here has a college, a highway, and a river. Um, and uh, so we have to think about what truly makes a place unique, um, and how do we distill that? Um, and uh, and I think that's one that's a, it's an ongoing conversation. And, wh- and where does a and I'm I'm really interested from the kind of architect's perspective and then also the inhabitants' perspective. Where does a city derive its brand from? Is it is it the color and shape of its buildings? You know that the 
mm-hmm. the water they use in their bagels or their pizza. And I'm really interested mm-hmm. in, in how you think about that. Well, there's a, I mean, that's a, <clears throat> that is actually a, there's certainly an element to that, that uh, um, historically, practically, you made buildings out of materials that were locally available and you made them in construction methods that were responded to your your environmental circumstances. So you don't see a lot of flat roofs in Northern Indiana because of our snow loads, right? Um, the part of the challenge with uh, sort of some of the you know, modern architecture is that it's more about the architect than the place. Um, and they sort of bring a brand to it or it's architecture as fashion. Um, the only good news is that those buildings won't be around for long. Um, they're they're already falling apart and not even a generation. So if you're just glass, steel, and gaskets, you're not going to last around that long. Um, but, uh, and I do think that's been a challenge. You know, a, a good city can absorb a few of those um, because it has, you know, strong bones elsewhere, but you can't create a city out of those buildings. Um, um, and uh, it does kind of have a soulless character to it when you see those environments, um, the, the sort of... Um, exurb uh sort of office park next to the the highway off ramp where you've got you know five or six glass buildings and it, it is sort of it doesn't really have a a place or a, a sense to it um so there's something there and there's also a um so that's that's part of i wouldn't say it's a brand but it does lend it is the character of a place that then helps and so you think about the the red brick in the Piedmont in Charlottesville and think about Jefferson and, and the sort of with the white trim and and the, the very distinct proportions of buildings in Charleston, which are, a, you know, a accommodation of the climate there. And you can just kind of go on and so forth and, and how, how traditional buildings then go to California and are rendered a little bit differently. That helps lock in a sense of place. Um, but uh, um, I don't know if that's the brand, but that helps you know where you are. So that you're not, you know, you're not at an intersection of two six-lane roads with, uh, you know, a Wendy's, uh, a Speedway, and you know, uh, whatever else at the other, you know, uh, some sort of driving shine at the other, you know, intersection, and you could be anywhere in lo- absolutely lost, right? Um, whereas you drop yourself in any of those other places, and you're instantly there. You know, you know when you're in Boston, right? Um, and uh, so I think that's something that we've lost that we're trying to recover. Um, and there are some headwinds there in terms of the commoditization of, of real estate and people talk about product rather than homes or, you know, buildings or places. Um, but, uh, that's a whole other subject. Yeah. So universities are certainly, uh, places and spaces and, and Mm -hmm. buildings that have been around for a long time. You've frequented them, uh, inside and out as a student and, Mm -hmm. uh, and now as a member of of the leadership team in Orient AIM. So... First, obviously, we'd love to kind of understand um, how things ended with the city, um, the opportunity as you saw it at Notre Dame, and I know you guys have had some really exciting news in the mm-hmm. in the last six or twelve months. So, what's that uh, part of your the chapter of your life? And you know, yeah, we can spend the last twenty minutes or so kind of talking about universities as yeah and places and spaces that are hopefully here for the long run. So, uh, no, thank you. Well. Um, in a, in a really happy way, uh, South Bend is home. Uh, so with any transition, it was, um, was thinking about that of, uh, uh, but it wasn't that that transition was really hard because I would have done that job forever. It was a dream job. Uh, um, and, uh, the, the challenge with it was that, um, 
my wife, uh, because that I touched every business, like but through my incentive, through the incentives of the department, whatnot, there was a concern for conflict of interest. And so um, my wife had a leadership role in a, in a, um, in a company, a global company in Chicago. She wanted, uh, as we um, started a family uh, and had our first child and trying to navigate the travel and the issues there, um, we needed to look at something where we needed to make a family decision that allowed for a little bit more balance. And uh, one of the senior members of, Pete, of Mayor Pete's team, Mark Neal, who's just a phenomenal, um, phenomenal civic leader and, and, and business leader, um, had had uh, moved into a uh, company in the private sector. And, um, and I, again, going back to the apprenticeship model, having a sense that that's where you can learn the most. There was a window there to sort of apprentice with Mark and uh, it's in the business leadership of a, a Bradley company, which is um, you know a leader in the community in many ways, and uh, with Brad Toothaker. And so I went there. To, I followed Mark there, um, and uh, uh, and so sometimes you get when you're going out of your comfort zone, you go really out of your comfort zone. And I was in this sort of CFO role, and um, I learned a lot. Um, and uh, but um, and I think I was, I was maybe level of comp competence, but I wouldn't say that I was as, anyway, I mean, I, I don't have no illusions about this, right? Yeah. You, know, you can't just, yeah. So, um, uh, but it was a, it was a great experience in that, um, really, you know, you don't, you can, you can learn things reading or not, but you don't learn them the way you do them. Right. So, you know, concepts like working capital and, and, and sort of all those elements that, uh, um, really are so critical for, for businesses. That was an incredible education. Um, and through that also I had a chance to, to work in some projects in, in, uh, with, uh, redevelopment in downtown Elkhart. So I was doing this kind of consulting practice on the side. Um, and more and more, more of my work kind of shifted over to the consulting side. And, uh, um, and, uh, I enjoyed it, but we didn't have the volume here to really sustain that. And, uh, and so I was thinking this through and, you know, if you think about in one, in layers, one layer is as the the both the physical infrastructure and the policy infrastructure and then having had a hand and an opportunity to help influence that and then um looking a little bit at that built environment at the top what we really the, the need is that middle layer it's the it's the tenants it's the economic activity um and the clear engine the the untapped opportunity there is, is at the university in terms of uh um you know what what's coming in terms of opportunities there where they could support the region and um, those conversations continued. I'd worked a lot with Notre Dame when, when I was at the city with, as a partner on the Notre Dame turbo lab and elements with regional cities and other projects. So a lot of familiar faces there, they are interested. Um, and they, now we had to, we, the university has a deep seated interest in the region. And, um, um, and so those conversations went on about how they could be engaged in, in, uh, the regional economy and, and business attraction efforts and, um, because that, I think the alignment there too with more or less my my uh, my passion or my interest in in healing communities or being a part of that um, that seemed a really compelling opportunity and made sense. So um, I also downstream if there's an opportunity that I might be able to do some work as an adjunct or other thing. I was always fascinated by that, you know, constantly learning. But the um, you know the university realizes that. Um, its ability to pursue its mission is really tied to the capacity of the region. So to be a preeminent Catholic research university, um, you, 
uh, you need a region that's vibrant, that's strong, that offers um, you know really compelling opportunities for the dual career couples. It had that uh, where research faculty have an opportunity to see their eyes, their ideas uh, make an impact in the surrounding region. You know, students now are when they're looking at you know between Evanston and Durham and Palo Alto and, and South Bend, you want to make sure that off-campus opportunities there that they have good internship opportunities while they're in school and so on. And then it's also consistent with the mission. So. The university really has is, is had this considerable um, um, you know, trajectory in the last, um, you know, it goes back really to, to Monk Malloy's interests, uh, you know, his leadership in engaging the city and kind of going across the street with the Northeast neighborhood and, and really building that up. Um, and those were absolutely fundamental. Um, but then um, Father John took it to the next level with, um, you know, the expanding the research activity, but also then some of the other engagements and then getting John Affleck Graves um, involved and his leadership has been tremendous um, in helping to steward that because there's a sensitivity there. The university is a large institution, one of the bigger players in the region, um, but has to, and so sometimes that we don't, uh, the university doesn't want to be seen as crowding anyone else out or sort of, and so it's it's a balance there of, of um, how to, to work within the region, be a, a, a partner with everyone in the region um, and uh, John's leadership has so been so critical with that, um, and uh, and so yes, recently we announced. Um, I think we're you know it's always a dynamic time at the university, but we're in a particularly unique, uh, I think, interesting inflection point where um, through the benefaction of the Lilly Endowment, uh, the region of which and the university is a key partner, um, you know, just awarded a twenty two point four million dollar grant, part of a broader one hundred and seventy million dollar initiative. Amazing um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. And you know, the when you look at the the sort of economic hotspots in in the country, they all have those common elements and um, about you know a skilled workforce, an entrepreneurial culture, a strong sense of place. Um, but they also have a tier one research university that is um, you know with well defined links to all those elements, right? And we have those pieces in the region. We just haven't had the formal channels to make sure that we're really leveraging one another in that way. Um, and uh, this platform, the, the Lyft Network Labs for Industry Transformation of Futures uh, and Industry Labs, uh, you know, sm small, big ND industry labs on campus, um, really will go to address that. And we've got, um, as a region, one of the highest concentrations of manufacturing in the US. Um, the Brookings Institution uh, identified Indiana as the most vulnerable state to disruption with automation. And across the country said that our MSA is uh, the third most vulnerable for disruption there. Um, so we have some headwinds and, and so right. all the more reason to, to do this. But uh, um, uh, like I said, the, re the, the growth of the university, the, the advent of the idea center and the commercialization research, um, the, the moment is now. And so with this, we're gonna creating a whole new set of, of incredible, you know, um, world-class facilities and advanced analytics, digital mobility, uh, precision health, um, advanced manufacturing and, and uh, engineering innovation. That will be a shared resource for all the businesses in, in, uh, in the region. Particularly the bulk of our manufacturing uh, is consists of uh, you know, family-owned, privately held, small tier two, tier three suppliers. Um, they don't have big R&D budgets, they don't have access to these things. So this becomes a collective resource so they can compete on that global that that global market, and uh, so it's um, it's really exciting to embark on this. The there's a lot of jargon in this world with Industry 4.0, but um, 
this concept of the digital migration where um, you know businesses now that manufacture a physical product uh, are going to ha- become a digital enterprise that also happens to produce a physical product is this sort of journey for our region. Um, and we believe that the process of that, some of the solutions, the, the technologies created to help that, those technologies themselves will be commercialized and create new companies that are going to help us diversify so that we are, um, we have a little bit more resilient region and we're not as, um, um, as uh, vulnerable to the economic ups and downs that we've incurred. So I know um, that a lot of stakeholders have worked really hard on this, so congratulations. But I, I remember being in correspondence with you and Jim Morrison at the time. Yeah. And I know it was a lot of late nights. So yeah. first and foremost, congratulations. Where were you when you got the news? And, and what do you think this means? Um, can you kind of, for yeah. everybody that doesn't really have the context, like what does this really mean mm-hmm. um, in, in the broader scope of the future of the region, the future of a university as a shared resource, as opposed to being something that only a few who can pay get access to. First and foremost, I want to say that um, indebted to the groundwork laid by uh, Tom Burris, the provost, and and Jonathan Graves, uh, uh, and Pete McCowan, the chair of the Elkhart Community Foundation, um, and their work along with Mayor Pete, and those in the engagement with Lily going back a year. So I mean, so that that groundwork had been laid. Um, you know, as we got into to drafting and formulating the document, there were. Um, there was great faculty leadership on campus and then in the region with um, Regina Emberton's leadership in the partnership. So yeah, a lot of key stakeholders. Yeah. Um, an A-team. Yeah, I was a, a phenomenal team. And we, um, you know, that's the best part. Uh, you know, I think a great, great working environment. Um, I um, I was in my office uh, and um, got a text from, from Jim. And uh, it's one of those things where real exciting but after a year and we had submitted four drafts um and oftentimes when we get we'd get feedback on you know friday and they want a new one and it's a hundred and some page document um so uh you know after the third draft you start to uh you're not holding your breath you know it's you'd like to feel like things are going in a good direction but you just you didn't it wasn't this uh clear destination so um first it was like this sense of like really really like this is uh, <laughs> not my leg. um and then it, um it's the um uh, the notion that we're probably not going to, then we have to think about an announcement right. um, and then we're going to somehow have to keep this under wraps for six weeks or something. And so that was this, uh, this sort of tension. Um, but, uh, but no, incredibly excited. And then, um, and then it's sort of, you know, the dog that, that bit the bumper, it's like, all right, now let's go, go team. Um, what does it mean? Uh, it, um, um, it's hard to underscore, I think the potential here. Um, and again, this is, maybe I'm going into the abstracts, but Notre Dame has a lot of global resources. It also, in some ways, you know, it's, it's got strong ties to wall street. Um, there aren't very many, if any mediating opportunities in this country that connect sort of wall street and main street. Um, and I think that has, uh, really bring to bear the resources, um, not just on the technical side, but also the business optimization side. Also, the the most you know really progressive thinking about meaningful work um, and how do we organize you know enterprises going forward that that really um, speak to to people in a way that it's uh, um, not it's not just transactional. Um, I think that um, and just but also given that we're just at this good scale of a region where we can make some difference. Um, it's not an anonymous audience. Um, there are familiar faces uh, around. 
that um, that formalizing that channel, having you know, in the past there have been a number of economic development you know initiatives and 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 leadership organizations, but so often those are one way where they are asking of the businesses to fund them. This is a resource that is being provided to them, right? Um, so I think that that's a difference. So that helps to hopefully give it more traction. I also think all of there's a big component of this that's geared towards um, engaging student engagement, um, both for internships and apprenticeships and capstone projects. And I like to think that the two-way exchange of culture that will occur by embedding a lot of those students, many, most of the undergrads in Notre Dame, for example, are not from the region, right? And they're not from Indiana. Um, and they may be from overseas like you were, right? Um, and embedding them in businesses in the region. Um, I'd like to think there will be a two-way um, benefit on both sides uh, in that businesses might might get access to some other ideas and some of the latest thinking that's happening in in the in the field students can learn um, a, a lot um, from from mentors in, in in the in practice so I I think it's um you know in, in a way that it's going to connect the university um, and and create that uh, we've had a heart and we've had you know sort of uh, these sort of distant organs but now we're getting the circulation the circulation system in place so we can actually really um uh benefits right and it, is, it, is it fair to say that it, you could almost compare it to you know one of those early drawings that you were doing right you, you really are putting the foundations in place to build a new skyline mm -hmm. right parenthetically yeah and uh, it's really cool to th to think about just how many different lenses an opportunity like that will be appreciated and and the value that i'm sure will compound over multiple decades yeah, just be careful. I, I, you say you, and I. It's, I'm just. I'm a small part in a much larger, uh, my much larger initiative. But I, I, I like to think that this work is foundational, um, and that uh, um, the important thing here is that it's. Um, this is teaching people how to fish. Uh, this is not, uh, not a one-time incentive or one-time shot in the arm. This is uh, laying the groundwork so that we can, um, that we will. Uh, We'll be driving economic change and, and make sure that we're able to to swim in this increasingly dynamic environment that's coming with this sort of globalization and whatnot that we're we're not going to be subsumed by that that's awesome scott final couple of questions um this has been a tremendous discussion i hope you know not our last um there's just so much to talk about with you it's it's tough to keep a focus um because you're just so damn interesting i have to say that but um, you, you're clearly a voracious reader. Mm -hmm. um, you clearly have, you know, love of architecture, uh, love of policy, love of design. How, how do you go about making sense uh, of this kind of crazy ubiquity of information that we have today? Um, and I asked the question because people listening, are young and old, I think are trying to make sense of where do I invest my time? What resources should I listen to? Who shouldn't I listen to? So I'm just fascinated. How, how do you consume information? You know, are you a newspaper reader? Are you, a, you know, a lover of books? And and how do you create a filter so that you can continue to be that apprentice, continue to learn, and continue to level up over time? It's a great question, and and <clears throat> I don't know if I have a solution to it. I think I'm I'm with everyone else in terms of trying to develop. I I like to think that we as a society right now have puppy feet uh, in terms of uh, the the new the access to information. Right, we're tripping over ourselves, and, and we uh, now increasingly, you know, in light of of uh, 2016, know how vulnerable we are to to uh, relying upon the information we look at. Right. So um, historically, I I learned a lot from. What's important 
Uh, E.F. Shoemaker is a uh, someone I'm um, really appreciative as a his work, but he always talked about reading books that prevent you from reading other books. Um, and there are foundational texts. There are those books that so many others are just riffing off of. And so trying to find those. And uh, there are um, there are writers, there are thinkers who hit on the truth. Um, in uh, and if you if you get to them, then then um, I think that's a more portable set of knowledge. Um, uh, I um, uh, with the papers, I go to the op-eds first and they're probably, um, I like to think of it as sort of an ongoing conversation. There's probably, um, five or six people that I read and I, the headlines are kind of the same all over, uh, the opinions where you get the extra lens. And I appreciate that. And I read people, uh, that I disagree with too. So I, you know, so it's important, but there are a handful of people there that are, and sometimes the by virtue of what they highlight that may turn me on to go reading a book or reading it, looking into it further. Um, I used to read a lot of biographies and kind of just subsume that. And then uh, I've, I've slowed down on that in part because of the comparison thing. Cause then you start thinking, well, gosh, I'm almost 40. What have I done? You know, this, and, um, uh, and that was a weakness. So I, um, I still love, and I do learn through biography and in life study. Um, but uh, you know, Recently, I've been reading more, just thinking about the operating system. So uh, reading books about um, uh, about culture, about um, books about um, uh, stoicism and, and spirituality and some other things along those lines um, that uh, if you get your operating system right, then, then everything else, uh, you can sort of um, uh, distill the signal from the noise. So yeah, I've, I've uh, been reading... Um, uh, you know, the Ryan Holiday books and Ego is the Enemy and um, the the Daily Stoic I take a look at every morning. Uh, I also start the day with uh, uh, there's a, I get a Jesuit email you know for prayer uh, um, and that kind of just helps set the day and the intentions is kind of find things the right way um, and uh, and definitely sprinkle in fiction. You know you got to read you got to follow your interests and if you're pushing yourself uphill you know there are times where I really you know there's some book that I you know, I'll take a step back and say. Am I reading this because I want to be impressed? I've read this, or am I reading this because I'm actually interested in reading this? And um, you know, and if if you are follow your interests there in the reading, I find that you end up covering more than if you're sort of like trying to work yourself through a syllabus. Um, I say all that to say that uh, as a uh, new father again, to yes, come, congrats. Uh, reading goes down a lot. Uh, there's not as much reading right now. Right. Um, I read a lot of books uh of children's books with my kids and um there are some incredibly poignant children's books and i um um and that's fun to read them through an adult lens so that's super awesome um, and my final question uh, what is it to like what is it like to uh to jump out of a helicopter in a, in a tweed suit <laughs> <laughs> it is uh uh that was a it was a great experience um and uh went with several guys uh for a, a friend's um this, they call it stag party, bachelor party, uh, and, uh, a group of islands off the coast of Cornwall. And, you know, I, it's a, it's a reminder once that, um, the broad bandwidth of life and you can't take things too seriously. Um, and just the opportunities for adventure and just, um, you know, we all get to your point of like this automaton machine thing and, uh, um, and being, you know, a little silly and just, uh, um, and taking something on there too. I mean, that was, we had to swim between the islands. That was, uh, um, you know, uh, and 
again, I'm I'm the guy at the edge of the table, just looking at the table. Everyone else is on the table, right? So some of these other guys I was with, you know, one of them led outward bound for the UK. He was he was very much in his element. Uh, but um, it uh, it's great. Those are those are incredible experiences, and um, uh, yeah, this would this one. Awesome. And my final, final question, Scott, uh, what, any, any final messages? Uh, what, what is it about you that you want to impart on your world? And, and, and how do you think about your, your legacy thus far? I'd, I'd love to just end on that note. If there is a legacy, it's not about me. Uh, and it's pretty early yet to be thinking about it. I, I, my dad always talked about wanting, you want to peak at 70 or, you know, I think about guys like Jim Baker and, and others who were, um, you know, some of these elder statesmen that, that, uh, you know, were going strong, you know, Joe Biden. Right. Uh, um, so it's really premature yet on that one. Um, but, uh, I, uh, um, if it's anything, it won't be about me. Um, but I like to think if I was part of an opportunity for a community to believe in itself and to, to help create a model community and, and, and to rail against the, um, the, the specialization of the, this sort of balkanization of our time where we, like, we have to think about these things in 3D. We have to think about, um, you can't think about business and, and play in, in buildings and, and, you know, uh, social policy and those things is, is 2D spreadsheets. They, it really has to be a 3D conversation. And so I think, uh, um, I like to think that, you know, as part of, of that and, and bringing people together, um, and connecting on that front. So that's awesome thought that was a car alarm yeah. to end there well scott thank you so much for your thank time thank you um this has been really wonderful i think you have an incredible story I'm, I'm very blessed to know you yeah um and i've just learned a ton in the last kind of hour and a half where can people follow you and follow the work of uh, the great work of you and the other stakeholders and of course you know keep very i'm sure exciting updates on on lyft and everything that goes with that mm-hmm. well we have a twitter feed and at uh at nd underscore econ dev um and uh um, you know, that's probably a primary channel. We will be launching a site soon that's specific to industry labs, um, early midsummer, you know, midsummer. Uh, and I think that'll be a great channel for a lot of really good content as well. Brilliant. Um, and, uh, and those are some primary channels right now. Awesome. Well, look, thank you, Scott. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the day. Well, and as it goes, goes out saying, um, anyone who's interested to S Ford one at indie.edu. So, yeah. Brilliant. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. See you soon.